This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Hello there and welcome to the first ever episode 32 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented folks from the Southern California hospitality industry and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to Allie Quayle for providing music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieQuayleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating, review, anything else that helps other folks discover it. And if you like the content, head to thebestseats.com for more just like this. Episode 32, another in-person one. Um, I can't tell you how nice it is to sit with someone, have a cocktail, and record a podcast. It's having done, you know, well, 32 of these at this point, um, there's no better feeling. To be able to do the past three in a row in person have been awesome. Um, all socially distant, all safe. Real quick shout out before I even introduce the guest to Amass Botanics. Um, Amass is based out of Los Angeles. They develop a beautifully expressed gin, uh, recently launched a vodka that's getting a lot of praise. And like most other liquor companies, they switched to hand sanitizers when this all broke out. Um, Unlike most liquor companies, their hand sanitizers are pure class and style. Um, No knock against anybody else doing great things, providing a safety product for, again, everybody who needs it. But there's something the way that Amass did it that's so Los Angeles. It's so upscale. It's so nice. Um, they're beautifully bottled. They're beautifully crafted. They smell great. They dry really quickly. They're these great little misters. Um, full disclosure, I've been part of their storyteller program, which is kind of a third party uh, community. Um, so you can take this endorsement with a grain of salt. But I've used them the past three times to kind of sanitize equipment, sanitize myself, sanitize the area. Again, whatever your feelings are about COVID, I'm just trying to be as respectful as I can to the space and to the guests. Um, so quick shout out to Amass for providing that. And you can check out their stuff online. I'm not going to go through that whole plug right now. That's for later. But just quick shout out to them. But the guest for this week, a very special one, chef owner of Harley and Laguna Beach, Greg Daniels. Uh, chef was nice enough to have me down to the restaurant. We sat up, very socially distant. Uh, masks actually on for this interview, which was cool. Um, and interesting. I was worried what it was going to do for the sound, but as you'll hear, I think it all kind of came out fine. Um, but yeah, she, Greg Daniels has been around Orange County for a while, um, responsible for initially launching kind of Haven. He's got a litany of other places that you're going to hear about in his own introduction. Uh, but he launched Harley late 2018, and it instantly has kind of swooned me. It's one of my great spots. If you know me, obviously, if you've ever listened to the show, you know that one of my favorite restaurants in Orange County is Broadway by Amar Santana. Harley sits directly across the street from it. So there has been plenty of night where I have waddled between the two, um, like a happy fat penguin. And I love them both. It's a super, not super upscale. It's the wrong way to say it. It's upscale dining, but it's relaxed atmosphere, incredible ingredients. Um, I have always thought of it as you'll hear in the interview, kind of like farm to table because 
everything is local, everything is sustainable, everything is respectful, everything is, the ingredients are all fantastic. And most kind of farm to table places would just take that, you know, add a little salt, pepper, put it on a plate. Chef Daniels takes that to a whole new degree. Um, you know, the wood fire that they've got, which hopefully will still stick around. You'll hear in the interview that that might be on the chopping block. Um, the food's always just been fantastic. I, I don't want to gush over it too much because I want you to hear it kind of from his own mouth. Um, you don't need to hear it from mine. But we're going to talk about a ton of things, including how it's been to rebuild an entire menu during COVID-19, what it was like for him to be one of the last restaurants to kind of open for takeout, why he did that out of respect for the health of his staff, health of his family, as you'll hear. Um, he's got some very specific medical situations with regards to that that he has to be conscientious of. And what it's like to face the last seven months, not just as a chef, but as a businessman, as a father, as a husband, um, and just kind of having to tackle all those tidal waves at once. So I have a lot of respect for Chef Daniels. I'm so grateful that we were able to do this in person, uh, share a cocktail while we were doing it. It just, it's the bees needs to be able to sit down and not just talk to somebody, but to be able to take a conversation like this and present it to you. So enough of me. You didn't come here for me. You came here for the guest and that guest for episode number 32, Chef Greg Daniels of Harley in Laguna Beach. Enjoy. We'll jump on in. Uh, Chef, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Thank you for opening your restaurant. Um, I should mention before we even dive into it, if there's noise in the background, you guys are obviously kind of in lunch service right now a little bit for to-go orders. So if there's banging in the background, that would be the kitchen downstairs. Uh, but obviously, Chef Greg Daniels of Harley in Laguna Beach, thank you for taking the time today to do this. Um, for people that may not be familiar with you or the restaurant, would you mind just quickly introducing yourself and giving a little bit of uh, your background? Oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I'm Greg Daniels, a chef here at Harley Laguna Beach. And, and uh, prior to this, I was the uh, founding chef and partner at Haven Gastropub and Provisions Market. I started Taco Asylum in Costa Mesa um, and moved on and started this concept in 2018. So obviously Harley, 2018, I want to say towards the end of 2018. It was November. November about that. So just about, you know, kind of an insane time to open it, an insane amount of things that we've been going through. Obviously the elephant in the room, we're recording this episode on October 7th. Um, we're still, and I can't believe I'm saying it, dealing with a pandemic. Um, COVID restaurants are still limited. Obviously here in California, we're extremely limited on kind of what we can do. What, I mean, the elephant in the room is what have the past seven months been like for you as a chef and owner? Oh, uh, hard, it's a, it's hard, a, it's emotional, a question, I know. um, you know, financially destructive. <laughs> it's been, it's been tough. Uh, I, I would say that, um, you know, we've, we've been trying to navigate this as best as possible, keeping in mind, uh, survival and also looking at, you know, economic conditions and how they'll be post COVID. So, yeah. You were one of the chefs when this first started happening. Restaurants, again, the ABC laws changed. Certain people were starting to do some to go. They were kind of doing cocktails to go. Harley was a little bit slower to open. Uh, you obviously had kind of, you were taking things very precautiously. You wanted to really kind of see what was kind of happening with this. What were some of the driving factors for you in being a little more, I guess, slow to just kind of throw the yeah. doors back open? No, absolutely. You know, uh, I'm very conscious of virus spread. 
Uh, my daughter was uh, born with a craniofacial condition called Treacher Collins syndrome, which uh, uh, means that the bones in her face are smaller than uh, ours are. And I mean, it, it, it can manifest itself in so many different ways. But, uh, you know, her jaw, her lower jaw was uh, retracted so much that, you know, her tongue was blocking her airway. And so she started off uh, life with a, a tracheotomy and um, she had that up until she was uh, six. Um, we we've always been more aware of contagions. We're the family that goes to Disneyland with wipes and sanitizer and cleans the cleans the table before we eat. And you know, I used to buy sanitizer by the case before it was cool to do so. We were actually we were actually like, hey, we don't we don't have cases of sanitizer in our house anymore. It's like watching that show Preppers, and all of a sudden you're like, shit, now I'm one of those. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you know, our awareness of it um, made it so that that we wanted to be sure that we insulated our family. Um, you know, it's been a couple of years now that Madeline has not been, Madeline's my daughter's name, has not been hospitalized when she gets sick during the winter. Uh, but prior to that, we went through a lot of hospitalizations. Anything would turn into pneumonia. So our fears were paramount at that time was, let's make sure that Madeline is going to be okay. So along with that, I also felt the responsibility to my staff and I didn't feel that the monetary gain was going to be enough to put them in jeopardy. Um, what is enough, I guess that is that point. And, you know, when we first, when we first went into lockdown and people uh, pivoted to takeout, I knew financially that we would not be able to survive that. I knew that this, that this business would die very quickly with that model. Um, multiple reasons, uh, just our, physical location being one of them. Uh, Laguna Beach is beautiful, but access to and from it is limited. So your, your delivery window, your takeout guest clientele is much smaller than if I was in Irvine or Costa Mesa. Yeah. And I know that for people who are listening out of state, Florida, New York, stuff like that, um, for those that don't know Laguna Beach, it is quite literally, and I'm not exaggerating, three ways in, three ways out. I mean, it's, it, it is tight. It is this little kind of isolated beach town, which is one of the things that makes it special and such kind of a unique community. And I want to touch on the rest of the beach towns um, a little bit later with regards to a couple of things, but that is a real hard thing to do. Looking around the rest of the Laguna Beach community, because it is so tight knit, what was it like, not as the father and family man, but as the kind of restaurateur watching, not competition so much, but kind of colleagues and fellow chefs, kind of what they were doing. Was it a little beneficial to be able to sit back and be like, oh, that didn't work for them. So it wouldn't have worked for us. Ooh, that really kind of worked for them. I didn't even think about that. Was it beneficial to kind of see some other people do trial and error? I think it was. I, I think it was definitely beneficial at that time. Um, it, it was weird to stop, right? You know, uh, when you're a restaurateur, you're always going, going, going. And so stopping at first was um, uh, hard to do. Then it was kind of a relief. And then, yeah, then you were kind of eyes open watching what is everybody doing. Throughout the, throughout the uh, shutdown and um, reopening, we've had open communication between a lot of restaurateurs in Laguna Beach proper. Um, we were meeting every Monday, we were doing a Zoom call, everybody was talking about the different things they were doing, what was working, what wasn't working, and that was super beneficial. Uh, every time I'd be like, Greg, you're still not open. Nope, still not open. <laughs> and, you know, um, yeah, there was just no way for me to do it. We did end up getting a PPP loan, which uh, prompted me to go ahead and make those moves to be able to rehire staff, uh, 
and have the confidence that I would at least be able to have them in here for a little while, pay them and give it a go through this process. So the PPE loan, that was such a, that was such a wild time. I mean, the stories that were coming out when those first broke, you know, I think it was what, like Ruth Chris qualified, Shake Shack qualified, and just oh, yeah. immediately both companies got eviscerated. And it was such an insane thing. What was that process like? Oh, it was so frustrating, honestly. Um, yeah, we didn't know what we were gonna get. Uh, we didn't know if we were gonna get anything at all. Um, and we got rejected a couple of times before we were able to find a bank that was able to put us through. And it was very obvious that, that the banks were giving preferential treatment to their larger clients. And when you, you know, when you introduce that to the equation, it's going to happen. It, we, we all knew it was going to happen. It's just, what's the answer for the independent restaurant that doesn't have, you know, that kind of backing from their bank. Before the shutdown and before everything else, how would you describe Harley as not just a restaurant, but also kind of the menu and then your vision for it? Because I want to jump ahead to what it's been like now since you've reopened and redone the menu but I want you to kind of put it in your context first. Oh, for sure. Um, I guess the best way to describe the food prior to opening was coastal California cuisine, new American, modern American in that realm. We were an upscale uh, restaurant. Um, we still tried to keep things friendly and casual to a degree, but uh, you know, we had dishes that bordered on fine dining, uh, especially when we first opened, our focus was even more towards that, but we had started to already come around, feel out the neighborhood, figure out exactly what we needed to be. Um, I think we were in a good spot right before COVID. We had seen our, our numbers starting to increase from the year prior, uh, getting really great local traction. Um, and then obviously everything changed. So now obviously you guys are open for takeout. You just recently, I want to say the past week, reopened for limited indoor dining right you're doing outdoor dining um now that you're able to kind of work with the city to build out additional seating and things like that the menu has changed drastically from what it was so i, I collect menus um when i can i have going all the way back to harley's first menu when you still had the grilled you know seafood tower on the menu oh, yeah. and all these other things now it's you know burgers, you know, family meals, things like that, fried chicken. And yeah. I do want to give preference that your burger is one of my favorite in Orange County. And I think it would even put up with, you know, some of the ones that Brad Johnson has gone to lately, our local critic. Um, what's that like for you as a chef to have to have where you're really kind of finding that momentum, you're finding those menu items where you're like, man, everything on here is clicking. And then to just have to flip that script entirely. It's, it's hard. Um, Honestly, uh, it's very easy for me to put ego aside to address business concerns. Um, but at the same time, you're changing, you're changing so much of the heart of the restaurant and you're, you're, it's, it's hard not to confuse your, your team. I think that's been more of my, uh, my thing to overcome than the public. I think the public understood it especially immediately. They don't understand it as much as we start to come back, um, but we can get into that a little bit more. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's been hard. Like, you know, for me, I can, I can cook anything. You know, I have no problem. I had a concept that was all tacos, you know, but um, yeah, switching to doing mostly burgers and fried chicken. Uh, is it uh, satisfying as like a chef trying to get my creative juices going? Not as much, but I think we hit something with this neighborhood and that's, that's been paying off where I'm doing 
during the week on, you know, there are a couple of days that we've had that we've beaten our numbers from last year when we were a full dine-in restaurant with, you know, a bunch of people on the floor working. Uh, and that's, you know, that's encouraging to see. Yeah, that's a good thing to see for sure. You mentioned all the kind of different ways that you would describe the restaurant. One of the ones that I always thought about when I first kind of met Harley as it was as a restaurant was farm to table a little bit. You're a huge supporter of local farms as far and again, all the way as far as Northern California, but still local within respect of where so many kind of products come from. You're very much about sourcing wherever you can, responsibly sourcing. Farm to table, I think for a lot of people, it kind of goes back to the Alice Waters, like fig on a plate type mm -hmm. of concept, but you do elevate your ingredients a lot. What's it been like working with those relationships, those farmers, those producers kind of starting to come back? You know, uh, the one the one that we've partnered with throughout has been Gonstraw Farms uh, for their, their chicken. And uh, they they have mostly not skipped a beat. We had, we've had like one delivery day that's been pulled off of our schedule. So we've had to work around that. Uh, but for the most part, that one has been, has been great. We pick up, uh, all of our organic lettuces from a couple of different farms in Orange County between Smith or, uh, ecology center are usually our two go-tos for, for greens. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely different. You know, uh, working with our vendors, trying to order enough to meet minimums, uh, it's been very hard to do. Um, we, you know, we really had to adjust the way we look at our menu entirely and how we, how we even cook in the kitchen. Before we had a wood-burning grill that we relied on throughout our service. Now we're talking about taking it out of the restaurant entirely. Wow, that is a big move. Reopening, you talked about how it's kind of been reacting with the community here in Orange County. It seems everybody's very much itching to get open. Um, there's not a day that goes by where I don't see somebody just saying, just let us do it and just let us figure it out. Because again, at the time of this recording, two days ago, give or take, uh, President Trump shot down negotiations working on the current stimulus plan between branches of Congress. Uh, included in that plan was from the Independent Restaurant Coalition, support for various restaurants, things like that. And it seems like everything is really kind of hitting a breaking point for a lot of states. Uh, a lot of people want to point fingers at governors, but it's even in Republican states like Georgia, you see chefs like Hugh Atchison coming out saying that they need that support. Working with the public now, trying to reopen, what are some of the things that you're seeing as a chef owner, both kind of positive and negative as places start to open up a little bit more or at least start to want to open up more? Right. Uh, well, the first time that we reopened to 25% dining, uh, I chose not to, right? We, we chose to, to stick to what we were doing. It was working. Um, and we didn't want to hire people and have to let them go again, which um, I can say I was right now, you know, since everybody got shut back down. Um, it's really now, uh, before I get to the public stuff, I think that the biggest thing is the you know, nobody has taken fiscal responsibility for this. Um, like you talked about, uh, you know, what, what really has to happen at that point, if nobody's going to take fiscal responsibility, then I start to side with the people who want to just reopen everything because there has to be an answer for those business owners that rely on, you know, this is their livelihood. So, uh, yeah, if people want to make that decision and reopen it, I think they should be able to, right. Um, with that in mind, this time around, our reopening is survival. So us going and deciding to reopen to the 25% that the, that the state is allowing our county to do 
is about survival. It's not something I wanted to do. Uh, during the months leading up to this, my family's been inside the restaurant. They've taken the upstairs as kind of their own. Uh, my wife has been working with us and my kids have been just running and playing up here. Uh, this room we're in is the one that they, you know, we're kind of living in forever. So now that we have let people into the building, they're staying at home. Um, you know, I'm stripping down and taking a shower when I get home. Uh, but the public response that we've gotten to coming in here has mostly been positive. You know, you have some people that, that uh, say they're not going to go into a restaurant, which I understand. Um, people scoff at the mask policies. We're very strict. Uh, get a lot of hard eye rolls. Uh, not, you know, they're, they're not coming in without a mask because we're not allowing them to. But at the same time, it's hard to be that that restaurateur, that, that hospitality person in this environment where we want to be able to say yes. We want to be able to give to the people that are coming in. Uh, it's usually, you're usually not asking them to do things, right? And that's a totally different twist and people don't even understand how to respond to that. Um, they think it's rude. Sometimes even from my perspective, when I'm seeing one of my team members talking to somebody, I'm like, oh, we could have said that in a different way, right? <laughs> Well, I understood the I understood the action that the other person was doing, and you know we talk about it a lot amongst our team. This has been just up and down and up and down emotionally, you know, and um, that's been at the forefront of our concern is hey, make sure that the staff is here for the right reasons and that they're not feeling uncomfortable, they're not feeling unsafe, and we're making decisions together. You know, we made the decision together to open up to allow twenty five percent to come into the restaurant. And, um, you know, so far, so far it's okay. The mask thing is interesting because it, it speaks to kind of something larger that I've at least seen pop up. I've spoken to other restaurateurs, owners, beverage directors, you know, some of them, your neighbors, people up in Fountain Valley, you know, Los Angeles. And the mask thing is very interesting because, you know, agree or disagree. I personally feel it has been politicized. I feel that now it's a it's a mark of kind of someone's belief system, whether they work or not. I'm not a virologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't know. For me, it's a courtesy thing. And I hope that I'm not getting someone else sick. Having seen kind of what it's done to people all over the nation and, you know, 200,000 plus perishing because of it. If it helps, then I'm going to help. Dealing with it from the hospitality standpoint, it's interesting to see that, you know, four months ago, everybody was, you know, takeout Tuesday. What can I do to help restaurants? Hey, all right, I'll donate to your GoFundMe if I have to, things like yeah. that. And now it seems as though the entitlement is back a little bit. The, Fatigue. Yeah. yeah. People are worn down by it. But like you said, this has never been a part of hospitality. You're like, what can we do for you? Not, hey, you need to do this for us. Right. And that's very new. We missed out on a lot of the, that uh, kind of gold rush and tips and support. It, was, <laughs> yeah. it really happened in those first few months that things were closed down. And when we came back, all of that had started to drop off and people had, you know, they had the fatigue of having, hey, they supported their favorite restaurants for a few months now. Like now what are they going to do? Now it's time to get back. Yeah. And I yeah. fear that that window is not there yet. For most people, you can't just switch back to the instant, what can we do for you hospitality? So it begs kind of the bigger question with people starting to leave one-star Yelp reviews and things like that. <laughs> when is the customer wrong and when is it okay to 
maybe start to adjust that semblance of hospitality a little bit, even though it kind of flies in the face of it to, hey, look, we don't know what the new normal is as much as I hate that term, but for now it's this. So you got to work with us. Right. How I think you, that's the... How do you look to that? Well, uh, it's something that we tackle on a daily basis here. Um, we're constantly trying to upgrade and uh, rethink our practices in order to fit that. Um, you know, I... I have tried to implement QR code menus uh, here at Harley. And over this past weekend, we finally started to see them working. It just takes a lot of communication at first. And I think that, you know, once people get used to it, they'll get used to it. They've gotten used to ordering food off of our website. They're totally used to that now. They'll get used to the way that they order in the restaurant. So, um, yeah, over communication. Um, we, we started off, you know, uh, now uh, after some you know trial and error. We started off when you make a reservation that we send you an email that gives all of the details of what our expectations are when you come in um, and explains the QR code ordering system, explains that servers are gonna be coming around to your table. They're gonna be there to help get refills. If you want another drink, different things like that that we absolutely can do, but we prefer that you place your order electronically so that we limit that time at the table. Um, that does a few things on our side uh, to limit labor and limit our interactions at the table as well. So that's something that's been at the forefront of everything that we do to try to survive as a business is how can we manage the expectations of hospitality, um, especially in a restaurant like ours, no matter what we've pivoted to, you know, what's the expectation that the public's going to have? How can we work with that? And how can we give as much as we can while still limiting that face-to-face -face time? And I think we're getting closer. Those kind of concepts of kind of ordering electronically and, you know, your server, it may not be like that classic brigade kind of French style where your waiter is always on hand, having a captain for each table, things like that. And I've spoken about that with other chefs, um, how that service is going to change. People like Ben Martinick saying how they don't know what service is going to look like yet for mm -hmm. a restaurant like Studio. It almost kind of sounds like the fast casual concepts were almost ahead of the curve on this, kind of limiting that interaction, kind of speeding up different things. Obviously, when Harley gets back to what it is, it is that kind of fine dining experience. What do you think kind of that middle ground is going to be? Assuming that we're in this for, God forbid, another six months, as I personally kind of think it's shaping up the look. Yeah. How do you still get back to that enjoyable, you know, anniversary candlelit dinner experience but you're still keeping your people safe and there's a distance. I don't know that we ever will in this location. Um, only, only based on what we've experienced with the local clientele right now is that we feel what we've turned this concept into is working better than our concept before. Um, we're, we're getting the kind of traction from locals where I can have, I, can, I consistently know what we're gonna be doing week to week and we should have seen a drop off already uh, just seasonally, mm -hmm. but we're not. So I think that what we're seeing is that we have uh, what what we're getting right now are locals. And prior to this, it was we're trying, trying, trying to get locals, and we're relying on a lot of hotel guests that aren't there now, right? Um, so I think it's more of what locals want. Um, not, I'm, I'm not sure yet, and you know we're still feeling it out. But it, we may we may end up being like this 
for a long time. And, you know, the big thing that I see coming from this is an economic collapse, right? Um, nobody's getting stimulus stuff right now. It's only going to be able to last so long. Businesses are going to go down. Uh, people are going to be out of work and their priorities for food. The price is going to be a big driver and being in Laguna beach. Yeah. We're insulated a little bit from that. You know, we have some wealth that surrounds us, but it's not everybody here in town. We have a lot of people in town that don't have that kind of money. So they are going to be looking at the fact that we have an $8 cheeseburger and that's going to be a draw for them. Um, so those are all things that we're taking into consideration. We're trying to look long-term because we know that this is going to last for a while, mm -hmm. right? Just like you said. So we don't think trying to modify and change too much right now is necessary. We have the, the ability to wait and see so we don't have to commit to anything right now. But from, from my point of view, I think that that's where we're going to end up. It's more of a fast, casual service. Um, you know, just more, yeah, just more of kind of do, DIY, you know? I want to shift a little bit to kind of restaurant culture as a whole as it relates to everything that's going on. Because you kind of mentioned menu prices, which is something I'm glad you brought up. I was speaking with a manager of a restaurant in San Francisco earlier this morning. And he was talking about the biggest issue for them has been restaffing the restaurant because of when those initial kind of, you know, bonuses, I guess, for lack of a better term, if you want to call them for unemployment went out, people were making more not working than they were working. It's raised a lot of questions about things that were being talked about with restaurants beforehand, work-life balance, things like that. The, I guess, basically the long-term viability of certain restaurants. And I'm a firm believer that restaurant prices for menus needed to increase. Right. Uh, just to be able to kind of support that. Now that you guys are kind of shifting to that more kind of quick casual concept, you know, shying away from some of those, you know, tomahawk for two for $160 type of dishes. What are your thoughts on that kind of belief system about some of those things just kind of enhancing the general quality of life for restaurant industry? And then how's that going to affect kind of you guys moving forward with the new concept for Harley? Well, um, so it's all a balance, right? Uh, food cost, labor cost, your beverage cost, all of those things are, are a balance in order to try and make squeak out some little bit of profit out of a restaurant. Um, labor costs have been tremendously high and they aren't going down and they shouldn't go down, you know, as far as I'm concerned. But the other side of it is what you're talking about is the fact that people don't want to pay as much for food. And that's been a problem in our industry for probably five to 10 years now. Um, I don't know what the answer is because you're always going to have the restaurants that have the ability to undercut and they're usually undercutting by quality of ingredients, but the, the outsider doesn't really know that, you know, going into it, they don't know that, you know, this is something that was packaged in a factory that they're just reheating in a microwave and putting on your plate. So those things, those things will always make it harder for independent restaurants to, to successfully raise prices to the point that they need to. Um, again, that's one of the reasons why I've looked to shift and try and find that balance of labor and, uh, and your food costs. So I'm, I, my focus on food cost is to keep my food costs low, very close to, very close to the industry standard that we've all gone by forever, but trying to keep them a little bit below that and then adjusting labor. 
And so that's been the, that's been my biggest driver and I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm upside down on it, but I, what I want, where I want to be is to be able to drive labor costs below the point that our industry standard is so that the others can go up or drive the other ones down a little bit. So yeah, there's, there's, it's all, it's, it's all in tweaking it and trying to find what's going to work. And I haven't, I haven't figured it out yet. I know that there's people that, um, and I know for a fact, cause I've talked to them sometimes that listen to this show or other, you know, far more kind of, uh, bigger shows with a wider range. But f- when you talk about something like food cost, can you give for those that may not be aware of kind of the inner workings behind the scenes on a restaurant, just kind of a general breakdown of what that cost looks like as it goes into a dish? Because I think people hear about, oh, restaurants, you know, they're on these razor thin margins, razor thin margin, but they don't really have something fiscal to kind of, it's almost like if you, someone tried to explain math to you without showing you the problem. Right. Can you kind of give a breakdown of what you mean by those food costs and how hard it is? Yeah. Food cost, food cost on average in a restaurant, you know, everybody's looking for it to be below 30%. Um, you know, back, uh, when I first started Haven, it was, there was this general philosophy that you could allow your food costs to go a little bit higher because you're trying to focus on those more quality ingredients, um, instead of charging more. Uh, so we ran a little bit higher than that. Uh, now all of the things that you have to take into consideration to meet that 30%, uh, you know, is a lot of takeout packaging, things like that. So all of these things get, and so your 30% of your costs are food overall. Um, another 30% is labor. And then you're hoping to keep beverage below about 25 and then the rest of what you're working with, you're trying to scratch out some sort of profit. So, um, yeah, this, this restaurant prior to, uh, COVID we were almost there, which, you know, to give you an idea, that was a year and a half in, uh, we had been, uh, working very hard, you know, from the outside, everybody thinks you're a busy restaurant because they're seeing pictures of a Friday and Saturday night there, you know, you project positivity everywhere. Um, but Laguna beach was a struggle throughout 2019. Um, many restaurants closed. We had a, you know, it's pretty, it's been pretty vocal down here amongst yeah. the community that something needs to change and all of that. And then COVID hit. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been one thing after another. When it comes to dealing with the community, um, Laguna Beach is kind of isolated from the rest of the beach towns, not just geographically in the sense that there are those, you know, the PCH North, PCH South, and the Canyon Road to get in and out. It's also different, I would argue, politically. Um, it's also it's always been a little bit more leaning blue, obviously a big gay community down here, a lot more kind of open-minded, lots of artists. The rest of the beach towns in Orange County, um, as a lot of people kind of point out, you know, for fun on social media. And then you have writers like LA Times with Gustavo Arellano, who talks about that kind of Southern Orange County, basically just rough kind of almost racist past and things like that. Those are tough towns. They're historically red, you know, the MAGA boat parades up in Newport, things like that. You're a chef who is outspoken about your beliefs and where you stand on a lot of social issues. And it's something that I really respect about you and being able to take a stand. And other chefs do do this, but I would argue that you're one of the few in Orange County that has continued to do it because we're obviously not just dealing with how this is affecting restaurants. We're dealing with how this is affecting, and and I mean COVID, the nation as a whole. And obviously with everything else going on, is that a fear that you may isolate some potential customers by doing that? Absolutely. Um, I, 
I've tried to not let it become a huge focal point of our business. Uh, from a personal side, definitely, uh, you know, but right is right. And that's kind of where, where I stand with it. And that's how I stand with it as an employer and um, where I stand with it as a, as a hospitality uh, person is that, look, it's all about being nice to people. And what in the end is going to be nicer for everybody? Um, and, you know, fiscally, I could look at things from a financial perspective and what would be better for me. And it would be better for me to to support, uh, you know, a much more conservative government. Um, but I also have to live with myself. And I'm a, I'm a person that values drive me. Um, so I would be, yeah, I would be remiss to not say anything. So the coming back to it, right. If, if I'm, if I'm alienating some people, I'm kind of okay with that. I don't think that I'm alienating enough people that's going to destroy my business. I think that I, I can attract people at the same time with, with that kind of, uh, lean, I guess is the best thing. But, um, from my side, I just want everybody to feel comfortable coming in. So when I say that I support Black Lives Matter or, you know, anything like that, I, I'm trying to appeal to everyone because I believe that everyone is equal and I believe everyone should have that, those same rights. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, it's a tough one. I don't think that I, I don't think that I take it into consideration. I think that I do it and then somebody will tell me, ooh, you might have turned some people off there. I'm like, ah, fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> uh, but I do want to mention the fact that Harley is, you know, we've talked about it being this fine dining thing. And for people that have may not been here, they may not understand that we're talking, this is a family restaurant through and through. I mean, it's named after, it's your grandfather that yes. it's named after. You talk about your kids running around. I mean, one of my favorite photos I've ever taken ever is you know, having brunch here about a year ago and Madeline just running up and just like jumping at the table and just sitting down and just hanging <laughs> out for a while. But I mean, the kids are always like, they're just hanging out. Your wife, Abby is always here. So it is a family restaurant. What's that like for you as a chef owner? Because I think there's some people that they have their, you know, they have their partners, they have their investment group and they're trying to make it work. But when you look around and like you said, before you guys reopened, your kids were kind of running around upstairs and things like that. Does it make you approach things any differently with looking to kind of, again, whether it's reopening or pushing or even switching the concept? Because I would imagine that when you opened this back in November, was it 18 or 19? Mm -hmm. it, 18. It, it didn't, you didn't think you would be here. Not that anybody thought they would be here, but what's that been like, not just as the chef owner, but as the husband, as the father, to see where the restaurant has evolved to? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's been a roller coaster. Um, you know, my, my wife has more business sense than I do. Uh, so throughout this, I've leaned on her quite a bit. And when we finally reopened in order to be able to spend my time in the kitchen and on things that had to be focused on and keep our costs lower, I brought her in to do all of the accounting functions that I did and kind of taking, taking over a lot of the general manager responsibilities, the admin stuff. Um, we're still trying to balance those things, but, um, it made me, it made me look at this business in an entirely different way, um, than I did before. I think that, I think that I looked at this as a creative outlet for myself for a long time. Um, and 
in different ways in, in creation and concept creation, um, and recipe creation and a lot of different things that, that I did with it where now I'm looking at the balance of trying to do that and also make it something that I can support my family doing. And the restaurant industry has notoriously again, been low profit margins, um, and, uh, low quality of life as far as that balance. Right. Um, so finding that balance has been important, uh, at the same time that I'm trying to find it for myself, I'm also trying to find it for my team. Um, and it's taken into consideration along the entire road. So I think that that's something that I was highly focused on before, as far as like trying to get that quality of life. Now it's like, no, we're only going to work until this time. And then we're out of here. It doesn't matter. We're only going to work this many days right now. You know, um, yeah, yeah. Trying to, trying to, uh, ride the emotions of COVID and balance it with business. I would imagine that being a father of two younger kids, plus having to step in and occasionally play teacher, plus having to be a boss and everything else can't be easy to kind of balance all this. I'm a, I'm a train wreck right now, man. <laughs> I mean, I really, I really well, You look am. like you're holding it together very well. I, so. I'm very, I'm very good at coming in and working and I'll be here for, you know, a good, you know, 12 hours usually, um, maybe a little bit less and all, and I, I can do that. I can, I can do that. But the, the rest of the time is, is me just trying to figure out how to make it work. You know, you talked about what it was like for you, uh, pre all of this coming in as a creative outlet, you know, pushing all the way until those, you know, that 1030 reservation finally kind of popped in those late nights being away from people. You know, there were a lot of stories, a lot of kind of op-eds that chefs did when the initial, you know, real shutdown, shutdown happened. Uh, you know, there was one that I, I finally printed out and kept, uh, Gabrielle Hamilton of prune back in New York city wrote, you know, I had my restaurant for X amount of years. I don't know if the world needs it anymore. Has this shifted not just, and again, and, and I want to try and separate all the different parts of Greg Daniels from the, you know, the father, <laughs> the owner, all that, but speaking as the chef, speaking as the person who knows what it's like to be on the line, you know, tickets are firing. Has this changed kind of how you want to be a chef or the way that you're approaching kind of cooking or those, I mean, do you miss those busy nights when tickets are flying or is it a little bit different now? You're like, I'm okay going home a little earlier. Oh, I'm definitely okay going home a little bit earlier, but, um, yeah, I mean, missing missing like a crazy uh, night with a bunch of people on the floor and, you know, a loud, raucous room like, no, the, those things are awesome. Um, uh, you know, you can't you can't replace those. And I would still love to have some of that in my life. Uh, I don't want to be doing it six nights a week um, or seven nights a week. I'd, I'd rather have it be much more balanced. Um, but yeah, I miss that stuff. I miss that stuff that I think the biggest the biggest thing with me is that. I'm not as worried about, I'm not as worried about fine dining. I think, I think fine dining does not have a place right now. Um, I think it always will. There are always going to be people that have the expendable income and they're, you know, the Thomas Kellers of the world are going to be able to fill their reservation books. Uh, for me, I, I don't think that 99% of the nation gives a fuck about fine dining right now. So my, my focus has been to, um, 
approach things a little differently. Approach things more of like, what's, what's the gut punch dish that people are going to love, right? The first thing we did was fried chicken. And, um, you know, the previous, the previous uh, owner of this restaurant had a fried chicken night that he did once a, once a month. And um, the, the uh, locals loved it. And um, so I had, I had avoided it entirely just for that reason. Like, no, it was something, you know, from here before, I want to do my own thing. Um, But I can make some really great fried chicken. So when we were reopening, I knew I wanted to support Gonstraw Farms. And so we went with that as like one of the first things, like let's do fried chicken. Let's, you know, my first job was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, So like it was a total throwback for me to be in 15. Um, And yeah, and trying to find the best execution of it. And, uh, um, I think we do a great job, and I think that um, if if I'm doing fried chicken out of this space for a few more years, I'm going to consider myself very, very lucky. If nothing else, you'd be honoring the legacy of it. I will say that. It's like this building was almost made for fried chicken. So <laughs> I, I know Ryan Adams had it forever, and to bring it back, there's almost kind of something serendipitous about it. Right. Uh, with regards to work life and you know, I've seen articles, you know, whether some people agree or disagree, I'm on the fence, depending on the point of view, people are talking about what needs to change with regards to kind of those old systems, those old French systems, the brigade system, the, you know, the kind of shouting in the kitchen, things like that. You're somebody with a lot of empathy when you're not on the line. Has this changed kind of having a little bit more, you know, again, bringing back staff and things like that. Times are kind of really unprecedentedly tough for everybody. Yes. Are you, when you are cooking and when do things get kind of busy and things like that, are you finding yourself more, more patient, maybe less patient? How's it affected you? That's as a been, leader? that's been years in the making. So honestly, I was, I was already prepared for that. Um, we, we started this restaurant with that in mind. It was very much like, look, we're not going to do things the same way as we did before, you know, um, we're not going to yell at people. We're not going to demean people to make them better. And the, those were things that I worked under those regimes as a bartender and as a cook. And they worked for me. Like I, it made me want to be better. And I came back the next day and I worked harder. It does not work anymore, right? It didn't work prior to COVID. It definitely doesn't work now. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, so we we made that a huge focus. And I think that it needs to be a huge focus for our industry. Um, when I hear those stories now, I feel that people are out of touch. Um, and you know, that I, I, there, there are still times when, you know, things get heated in the middle of service and you're going to get upset, but it happens so, uh, so few times now. And there's always this understanding and the end of the shift, we're friends again. You know, even if, even if I told you that, you know, you needed to move faster, I told you that because you need to move faster and you understand that. Um, so yeah, I think that, I, I think that the world has changed in that direction and, um, for the better, I, it makes, it makes for a much more enjoyable shift to be honest with you. Like even the stress level is so much less. I remember, I remember, uh, reading an article and a quote from, uh, David Chang years ago when he was talking on this very subject and, He's like, okay, in the end, I'm just cooking noodles. You know, that's all I'm doing. I'm cooking noodles. It's not, it shouldn't be this important. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be this important that I'm, 
you know, making somebody feel belittled because of it. So, um, I've taken that to heed for, for quite a few years now, and I've tried to make it a, a big focus of my management style. That's awesome to hear. Are there any aspects? There's been so many changes post kind of the shutdown and everything else for restaurants, whether it's ABC, you know, allowing alcohol to go, um, the outdoor dining, which I know has been a fight for some people. Some people just went ahead and, you know, it, I don't know if Blake Melgren at Craft House has ever been more grateful for his private little parking lot turning that awesome. thing into an Austin style eatery. Yeah. Um, is there anything that's happened since COVID that restaurants have enacted that you think should stick around? Oh, alcohol to go for sure. I mean, cocktails to go. It, we should have been doing this a long time ago. Uh, hopefully, hopefully the end result is that you know that ABC sees that it was okay. Let's continue to do this. Um, I, I have a feeling that it might be something that will change and be more long-term and it helps, you know, restaurants, that's where they make their money, make your money selling booze. And you know, when you're selling through third parties that take 30%, it's much harder to make, make dollars at that point. Right? So if you're able to sell a bottle of wine, you're able to sell cocktails, then yeah, all the better. Um, I think that's a, that's a big change that, uh, I like, I, I think the change to to so many people focusing on QR code menus and things like that is also good. Um, you know, we've changed the way that we structure uh, tip sharing in this building uh, just just during COVID, but we know that there will be resounding effects afterwards of sharing tips between front and back of the house. And uh, you know been harder to get servers because of that because ever, there are places that have not made any changes like like that so um i think that's been a good thing the outdoor dining i mean we gained a patio we're in a building that is very new york style of being you know narrow and um, yeah i was gonna say for anybody who hasn't been here it's very it's almost kind of meatpacking district where yeah. it's just that tall, narrow, long, like there should be a bunch of brownstones on either side of it. Yeah, so I mean, I love that part of this building, right? You know, you don't feel like you're you're in Orange County, but at the same time, we never had a, a patio and that's, that's huge for Southern California and it's huge for right now, right? So we were able to gain this, this space, uh, a parklet space, and the city has allowed us to do this through April of next year. That's great. And I, I think that their intention, I know that their intention is to try to make it permanent. Um, if I'm able to gain real estate and gain a patio through this, yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge win during COVID. Um, and I think that, you know, all of this alfresco dining is stuff that we needed uh, throughout, throughout our towns anyway. I want to touch on one last thing before we start to wrap up, because you mentioned that obviously alcohol sales are one of the biggest kind of net gains. Uh, Harley's always had, this is my personal opinion, one of my favorite wine menus in the area. I know that you're a big supporter of a bunch of different wineries, a bunch of different types of wine, whether they're naturals or at least biodynamic, things like that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're still dealing with wildfires ripping through. We just lost Meadowood. One of, you know, regardless of how bit you felt about the restaurant, an yeah. amazing restaurant. Seven wineries at this point, I think, have gone. You know, people are in the middle of harvest right now, harvesting grapes and things like that, or they're getting ready to, to just let them kind of sit for a while. What does it do for you from the planning standpoint when it comes to wine, trying to look ahead to next year? I mean, there's so many uncertainties, but this is kind of a really big one because 
it is a big uncertainty. And you know what? This the wildfires are not something that I have taken into consideration for our wine list. Um, I've been looking at our wine list from a little different perspective now, just in the in the fact that our concept has changed so much. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I, I don't think that I've I've considered it enough to really speak on. I, I think our 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 focus right now is slimming down our our cellar to run our business more lean um while we while we focused on having a, a big selection before um you know uh wine spectator list and everything else uh i don't see us having more than 100 SKUs the way that we would need to to meet those uh you know meet those uh needs for wine spectator anymore so we may we may slim down our menu make things more approachable we always had approachable wine on our list mm -hmm. uh our our uh um price uh uh, our increase, um, what we're, what we're making off of wine right now is super small. Yeah. Um, you know, we're trying, we're, we're trying to move product more than we're trying to hold on to it. So that's where we are right now. Do you think that's going to be something kind of industry wide instead of those big, you know, half million dollar wine seller type of things? I think people a lot of people are selling off their sellers. I mean, I just yeah. got an email from uh, Le Pigeon you know, and they're, they're selling off their seller and there's, there are a lot of places that are, that are slimming down and it's, you know, my, I, I have over $20,000 in wine. So what can I do with that money right now? There's a lot of things that I can yeah. do that we need instead of just sitting on it because we don't have enough people coming in to sell it all, uh, fast enough, you know, I know you hear that. So if you're listening, drink more. Yes. Yes. Drink more. <laughs> Come Absolutely. here and drink more. We have great deal on deals on wine to go. Add it to your order. It is a good one. <laughs> Chef, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, anything else, thoughts about the industry, future of the industry, anything you want to get off your chest, anything like that? Oh, well, huge question. You know, um, <laughs> I, I want to wish everybody luck right now. Uh, you know, I know that there are going to be a lot of people that are going to close restaurants know there are going to be a lot of people that are going to change careers during this time. Um, all I can say is that uh, I hope everybody stays healthy and safe and rides it out the best that they can. That's all we're doing. We're, we're all in this together and in the same sort of situation. So talk to your friends. Uh, if you're a restaurateur, talk to your restaurant friends. Um, We've started, we've started relying a little bit more on each other in that way and kind of venting and, and getting conversations going. And I think that that's super important. Um, just psychological health. Um, if people want to find you on social media, the restaurant on social media, website, stuff like that, where can they do that? Uh, on uh, anything, it's Haven or it's Harley Laguna Ooh, that was, Beach. That was a muscle memory. Wow, yeah, that was just uh, Harley Harley Laguna Beach at Harley Laguna Beach Laguna Beach or Harley Laguna Beach .com. I'm at Chef G Daniels um, on Instagram and would love to connect. Awesome, Chef. Thank you so much for the time, man. Thank you. Be Appreciate well. it. That was a fun one. That was a heavy one. That was a good one. Lots of great topics, lots of great details, lots of great answers. I'm so grateful again to Chef Daniels for taking the time, um, allowing me to sit up in Harley and 
again, during kind of like the middle of prepping for servers, people coming and going, picking up orders. Uh, there's nothing like sitting with somebody these days and being able to talk. You know, there's so many people that aren't allowed to even see their loved ones in person. So to be able to have a conversation in person while socially distanced, masked up, you know, disinfected the whole nine yards, there's just nothing better. Um, I hope that you are safe wherever you are. I hope that your family is safe, your friends, everything else. I hope that the restaurants around you are doing the very best that they can, as Chef said, survive, because that's the name of the game right now. Survive and see another day. If you have the means to, please support your local restaurants. If you can't, please support them on social media. If you've been there before, leave a Yelp review, leave anything that can help them. Everybody needs help right now. Um, everybody is begging for a little bit of assistance. So whatever position you're in, if you're hearing this podcast and hearing my voice, please also hear my plea, help save your local restaurants. Thank you to Chef Daniels again. I look forward to seeing you guys on the very next episode. As a quick reminder, not all the episodes moving forward are going to be in-person ones, uh, whether it's just the guests' personal wishes or uh, geographically, there's going to be some uh, more upcoming guests that are out of state or at least further up the state that I can't get to in person. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy. Stay safe. I'll see you soon. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Katie Cassie, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.